Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. As I was getting ready for this series, I felt the Lord say, Preston, you haven't taught this before in Tempe. And, and I've told you before, you preach when they know, you teach when they don't. I want you to go down to Tempe and I want you to teach them the family values. But you've taught this before in Scottsdale. And this time, I don't want you to teach them the values. I want you to show them the, a, a scriptural embodiment of each value and the behaviors associated with each one. So each week during this series here in Scottsdale, we're going to take a look at one person in scripture that embodies each of our values here at Gateway Church. This weekend, we're talking about my favorite one and the most important one to me. We love to Shema. Here, we love to Shema. Now, I've already lost some of you, but Deuteronomy chapter six, one of the most important prayers in all of the Old Testament says this. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And then it goes on to say, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. This is, hear, O Israel. This word hear doesn't just mean to listen. It means to hear so clearly that you are compelled to obey whatever you hear said. Here at Gateway Church, we love to hear God's voice and do whatever we hear him say. We're going to take a look at two chapters in the book of Judges. If you have a Bible, you can turn there if you want. I'm going to cover 100 verses in the next less than 30 minutes. It's going to be a sight to behold. No judge in the Old Testament has more verses dedicated to themselves than Gideon. 100 verses in, in Judges chapter 6 and Judges chapter 7. Gideon was not an impressive man on paper. He did not have the amazing resume. He did not have uh, unbelievable wisdom. He did not have favor with everybody around him. He was actually from the tribe of Manasseh, not typically known as one of the most amazing of the 12. And he was from one of the weakest clans within the tribe of Manasseh. And he even says to the angel of the Lord that he comes from one of the, the most unimpressive families within the weakest clan of one of the weakest tribes of Israel. Are you getting the point? Gideon was not that impressive. Yet, God uses Gideon to do something so impressive, it can hardly be contained on the page. And you'll see why God does this incredibly impressive thing through such a seemingly unimpressive person. As we start Gideon's story, we see in Judges chapter 6, the angel of the Lord come to Gideon at the tree of Ophrah, not Oprah, Ophrah. And we find Gideon down in the wine press on the threshing floor, hiding the wheat from the Midianites. Now, what has been happening for the last seven years uh, is the Midianites were coming down around harvest time 
to ransack all the towns. They were taking all of the food that the Israelites were planning on being able to eat throughout the year. It was creating conditions that were borderline famine. People were starving left and right. And here we find Gideon hiding the wheat on the threshing floor from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, over the next few minutes, you're going to see as we walk through Gideon's story, this kind of seems incongruent with the type of man Gideon actually was. The angel of the Lord says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before about your God, but he loves to call things as they are because he knows the end from the beginning. He loves to call things as they are, not as they appear. That's why God says to you, mother. He calls out to you, mother, mother of many. Even though you're still battling infertility and have been doing so for nearly a decade, he still calls you mother. Why? Because he knows the end from the beginning. And he calls things as they are, not as they appear. It's why he calls you CEO when you're still just a busboy. It's why he calls you senior pastor when you're 15 years old and haven't even led a life group yet. God looks at Gideon, knowing the end from the beginning, looking at a man whom everyone else is unimpressed with and says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Gideon says, yeah, right. If the Lord was with me, why is all this bad stuff happening to me? And then the Lord says something very, very important. The angel of the Lord, which many, most theologians believe this is the pre-incarnate Christ. And the reason we know is in a moment, Gideon says, the Lord God. He calls him out the Lord God and fears for his life. Okay, we talked about this with Joshua several weeks ago. The angel of the Lord says to Gideon, Go in the strength you have, for I am with you. Have you ever noticed how some of us, when God calls us somewhere we don't think we can go, we don't think we're ready to go, we come up with all the excuses we possibly can not to go there. Years ago, Pastor Robert, before I got engaged to Holly, he asked me one day, he said, hey, are you going to marry this girl? And I said, oh yeah, I'm going to marry her. She's the one. He said, well, what's the holdup? And I said, well, there's an amount of money that I want to save up. And then when, when I hit that number, I'm going to propose to her. And he starts laughing hilariously. Uh, now looking back, I understand why he was laughing. It's because he was paying me $24,000 a year and I had 15000 in school debt. He said, Preston, you're never going to get married then. He said, because when you get to that number, it's not going to be enough. You'll set an even further number, a higher number. You'll keep pushing it back. He said, you'll never be ready if that's the reasoning you have. We do that all of the time. When God says, I want you to go somewhere, our first response is, but, but I'm not ready. I don't have the strength. And here's what the angel of the Lord is saying to Gideon. Hey, between the strength you have and the strength I have, 
it's all going to be okay if you stick with me. Somebody needed to hear that. God, I'm not ready. You might not be, but he is. And between your strength and his, if you stick with him, it's all going to be okay. But Gideon, the second time now, the angel of the Lord has said, I'm with you. Gideon says, prove it. If what you're saying is really true, if you're with me, then I want you to prove it. Stay here while I run home to get my offering. He runs home, he gets the flour, gets the broth, gets the meat, brings it back to the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord, as Gideon builds up an altar there, which he later calls Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is peace. He builds up this altar and the angel of the Lord takes his staff, touches it to the meat. The meat is engrossed with flames, is burnt up and immediately Gideon falls on his face and cries out, oh Lord God, I have, I have come face to face with the angel of the Lord. Surely I am going to die. And the Lord says to him, relax, bro. I'm pretty sure he said, bro. Relax, bro. I'm not here to kill you. I'm here to walk with you. I didn't come to destroy you. I came to be with you. Then the angel of the Lord says, but now I have something for you to do. I want you to go into the camp of the Midianites and I want you to burn up the altar of Baal and I want you to tear down the Asherah pole. This is Gideon's first orders. What does Gideon do? Gideon grabs 10 guys and waits until dark when everyone in the Midianite camp is asleep. Now, this also is for someone in this room. Some of us have actually convinced ourselves that when God tells us what to do, that he's so specific in his instructions that he makes it impossible to obey. That is not what he does with Gideon. He actually leaves some room for personal interpretation. He knows Gideon has a lack of confidence. The Lord says to Gideon, sneak into the camp of the Midianites. This is the first big step I'm asking you to make. And I want you to tear down the altar of Baal and the Asherah pole. Gideon says, okay, I'll do it, but I'm gonna take 10 dudes with me that are a lot bigger than me. And I'm gonna go at night when everyone's asleep. And the Lord says, fine, that's great. You walk it out at your pace. Go ahead. Wait till evening. Gideon goes in, tears down the altar of Baal, tears down the Asherah pole, sets up an altar to the one true God. Takes the wood from the Asherah pole, you, chops it up, uses it as fire for the sacrifice. And the next morning, the Midianites wake up and they see the altar of Baal has been destroyed and the Asherah pole is in pieces. They're furious. Who did this? One man named Joash speaks up 
above the rest. And he says, Gideon did it. Now, here's what you need to know about Joash. Joash was Gideon's father. It would seem on paper as though Joash, Gideon's father, just threw Gideon under the bus. But here's what you need to know. Joash, the Bible says, was actually the person who built the altar of Baal. It's believed that the reason that Gideon viewed himself as the weakest, the smallest, and the least significant of his family is because the rest of his family was worshiping Baal and Gideon was the only one who refused to. Joash says, Gideon did it. And just as you think he's throwing his son under the bus, the next words he says are these. Who will defend Baal? The Midianites are speaking up and he says, does Baal need to be defended? Is he that weak of a God? Surely anyone who defends Baal this day will die. Joash wasn't bus chucking his son Gideon. He was actually hopping off of the Baal bus and on to the one true God bus that his son Gideon happened to be driving and was about to run over every single one of the Midianites. He didn't bus chuck his son. God did something in his heart and he figured it out. He got on the right bus. The Midianites are furious. They start screaming out, we're going to kill Gideon. Midianites, the Amalekites, the Bible says also the people of the east come together as allies to fight against Gideon and the Israelites. Interestingly, on this same day, the Bible says that Joash, the father of Gideon, changed Gideon's name. Now remember, to this point in the story, Gideon has lacked confidence. The Lord said, hey, sneak into the camp of the Midianites. He waits till dark and takes 10 people with him. Okay, and we'll see even more and more his massive lack of confidence. Joash changed Gideon's name that day to Jerub Baal, which means this, let Baal defend himself. Here's another way to say it. This is the boy who had the guts to defy Baal in the name of the one true God. Joash changed his name. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people of the East all come together wanting to kill the Israelites and kill Gideon. And I want you to see what happens at just the right time. In the very next verse, in Judges chapter 6, verse 34, the Bible says, Then, right then, not before then, not after then, right then, just as the Midianites, Amalekites, and people of the east were coming together to kill Gideon and the Israelites, then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. Gideon, the man who to this point had a lack of confidence, gets up and blows the shofar. Sounding the alarm of war, 32,000 warriors from various tribes of Israel come to fight with Gideon. And things start to get really interesting after this. Gideon says to the Lord, remember 32,000 people have showed up, but 135,000 have showed up for the other side. What would you call the odds 
for the person who had an army of 32,000 who had to fight against an army of 135,000. I'd call those bad odds, right? Wouldn't you? Okay. Gideon realizes he was probably hoping for a couple hundred thousand, 32,000 show up. Sounds like a big number, really not. 100,000 shy of what he needed at least to be equal. And he goes to God and he says, don't be angry with me. But if what you've said is really true, if you are with me and you're going to use me to rescue the Israelites, then I want you to prove it to me by doing something specific. Maybe you've heard what happens next. He says to the Lord, I'm going to take this wool fleece and I'm going to lay it out on the ground before I fall asleep tonight. And in the morning, if the fleece is soaking wet with dew, yet all of the ground around it is dry, I'll believe that you're with me and you're going to use me to rescue Israel. Sure enough, Gideon goes to sleep that night, wakes up in the morning. The fleece has so much water, so much dew, that he wrings it out, fills a bowl to overflowing. But that wasn't good enough. He still needed more confirmation. He needed to know that he knew that he knew that God was with him and was leading him forward. And he says, God, don't be angry with me. Just one more thing. If, if what you say is true, that you're with me and you're going to use me to rescue Israel, do one more thing for me. I'm going to lay out the same wool fleece tonight before I go to sleep. And when I wake up in the morning, if the fleece is then dry and all of the ground around it is wet with dew, I'll believe what you say is true. Sure enough, when Gideon wakes up in the morning, the opposite had happened. The fleece was completely dry and all of the ground around it was soaked with dew. What happens next? The Lord then comes to Gideon and he says, you know what, Gideon? 32,000 is too many. And I can just see Gideon wanting to kind of argue back. Like, hold on just a second. They have 135,000. You know I have 32,000, right? And the Lord says, Gideon, if all 32,000 of you were to obtain my victory, you might be tempted to think your strength won you this victory rather than my strength. So here's what I want you to do, Gideon. I want you to go to the 32,000 warriors and I want you to ask them all, who among you is timid and afraid? Gideon says to the entire army, who among you is timid and afraid? Raise your hand. 22,000 warriors raised their hand that day. Now here's what's funny. I read so many commentaries about these two chapters and it's amazing how many theologians call Gideon a coward. He was a coward because he didn't do what God said. He needed so much confirmation. Can I ask you a question? If Gideon was a coward, what were the 22,000 called who said they were timid and afraid and went home? Gideon is no coward. Gideon just lacked the necessary confidence. But he would get it. And he could only get it from his God. The Lord comes to Gideon again and he says, oh, 10,000. And just imagine Gideon going, this is getting crazy. I've got no one with me. 
And right then the Lord says, uh, Gideon, this is still too many. 10,000? If 10,000 of you went down, I mean, think about this for a second. If 32,000 against 135,000, you'd call bad odds, what would you call the odds for 10,000 against 135,000? Horrific odds. Yet the Lord says, hey, 10,000 is still too many. For if 10,000 of you were to obtain this victory, you still might be tempted to think that your strength won you this victory, not mine. So Gideon, here's what I want you to do. Take these 10,000 men down to the spring. And I'm going to let you know who is allowed to go with you into the camp of the Midianites. They go to the spring, and the Lord says, I want you to watch all 10,000 of the warriors. And I want you to see who goes into the spring, creates a cup in their hands, and then licks the water out of their hands like a dog. 300 warriors. What would you be thinking right now if you were Gideon? 301 against 135,000. Amazingly enough, the very next thing that happens, that very night, the Lord comes to Gideon and he says, get up and go, for I have given you victory over them. But he doesn't stop there. The Lord says, Gideon, but if you're afraid, I want you to do something. I want you to go get Pura, and I want the two of you to sneak into the camp of the Midianites. And I want you just to listen to what they're saying. Because if you do, you'll be encouraged. Gideon goes and grabs Pura. They sneak into the camp of a 135,000 person army. And I want you to see, just as they come in, what they overhear a man saying to his companion. Judges chapter 7, verse 13. The man says, I had this dream last night. And in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midian camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. Okay, at first this doesn't sound like that big of a deal, but just imagine that you're Gideon. I can just see Gideon hitting Pura in the arm and going, Pura, you got to be kidding me. The first time the angel of the Lord came to visit me, I was in down in the wine press on the threshing floor hiding wheat of all things. Pura, I think I am the loaf of barley bread. And it's almost as though just at that moment, the God of the universe says, oh, Gideon, buddy, I don't want you to think you know. I want you to know that you know. Hit the pause button for a second before I give you this next conversation because for some of you, you may have grown up in a tradition or denomination that badmouthed anybody who waited for confirmation from the Lord before they move forward with a big decision. That is typically something I will do wait for confirmation and even with some re with several really big decisions i haven't necessarily put out a fleece i'm not telling you to wake up in the morning and say god i will have my quiet time today with you if my phone rings in three two 
one. My bad, God, phone didn't ring. Okay, that's foolishness. But I can tell you, with a couple of really life-altering decisions, I have said to the Lord, God, would you confirm this to me? And maybe this means I don't have enough faith. But God, it would be great if you would confirm it by doing something kind of like this. I just need to know that you're saying this is the way. And I'll do whatever you say. You see, Gideon gets a, a bad rap. People say, oh, Gideon laid the fleece before the Lord twice. He didn't trust God. When you read Gideon's story, and this is your homework for the week, week read Judges chapter 6 and Judges chapter 7. Do you ever see God get frustrated with Gideon when Gideon asks for another confirmation? No. The only time God gets frustrated with Gideon is a, a chapter or two later when he starts worshiping. The people start worshiping the ephod, which was to give them what the Lord was saying. They started worshiping the thing that told them the word of the Lord instead of the God who gave them the word. That's when he got frustrated, when he basically started idolizing the fleece. But early on in Gideon's life, God was never frustrated when Gideon asked for confirmation. Listen to me closely, especially if you lack confidence as you move forward in your journey with Jesus Christ. Confidence is, uh, is often increased when God gives the sweet and beautiful gift of confirmation. When God tells you something and then he confirms it through someone else, maybe through a prophetic word or a word of knowledge, or maybe through a set of circumstances, but when God confirms something, it's a sweet kiss from the God of the universe to say, you heard me the first time. I'm just letting you know you're right on track. He's not mad at Gideon. Gideon just wanted to hear God. And time and time again, we see that the reason he wanted to hear is he just wanted to obey. Verse 14, the man's companion, the man who had the dream, his companion answers and says, your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all its allies. Gideon hears this. He falls down and he starts worshiping the Lord. And when he's done worshiping, he gets up and goes back to the camp of the Israelites and gives the best speech of his life. He walks into them. And he says, listen to me, with all the confidence and conviction that comes with knowing that God is with you and on your side. He walks into that camp and he says, listen to me closely. There's 300 of us. I'm going to divide us into groups of 100. Only a confident man does that now. He was grabbing about 300 just a little bit ago, and now he splits them up into groups of 100. He says, I'm going to split you all up into groups of 100. I'm going to give each of you a jar of pottery, a torch, and a shofar. And I want you to watch me closely. As I get to the edge of the camp of the Midianites, I want you to do everything you see me do. Why would Gideon say this? Because a man who obeys God understands the unmatched power of obedience. He says, you watch me closely and do everything I do. I want you to see what happens. Judges chapter 7, 
verse 19. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly, they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands. And they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew the ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their own swords. 135,000 of them started killing themselves in a sheer panic. Why? Because one guy had the guts to press in, hear God's voice, and no matter how crazy it seemed, do exactly what God said. 32,000 they started with. They ended up with 301. And one of the things I love most that the Lord says to Gideon along the way, he says, Gideon, listen to me closely. You will take down these 135,000 warriors as though they were just one man. On paper, Gideon was not impressive. He didn't have the resume. He didn't have the impressive gene pool. He didn't come from the sexiest clan in all of Israel. Here's Gideon in a nutshell. A man who had to hear the voice of God and was completely committed. Whether he had the confidence or not yet, to do everything God told him to do. When I die many, many years from now, I think about this from time to time, what I want people to say the day of my celebration service. I have friends that I've heard say, I want to be known as the best preacher in the world by the time I die. I have friends that I've heard say, I want to be known as the best senior pastor in America before I die. I have friends who have said, I want to be known as the best preacher on the planet before I die. None of those are bad but I've just never found myself saying, God, these are the things I want people to say about me when I die. There's really only one thing I want people to say. I just want them to say, Preston was not a perfect man. He was the best looking man. (laughs) He may not have been the best looking, He may not have been the best preacher. He may not have been the best senior pastor. He may not have been the best dad. He may not have been the best husband. But I'll tell you one thing about that James Preston Morrison. He was obsessed with hearing the voice of God. And I'll tell you more than anybody I ever met in my lifetime, he was committed to doing everything he heard the voice of God tell him to do. That's all I want you to say. 
That's all. That's it. Listen. An unimpressive man was used by God to do one of the most impressive things in Scripture as it relates to battle. And yet, all he really did well was hear God and obey. May that be said of me. May that be said of you. May that be said of us. Because victory is a certainty and his glory will fill the earth simply because we are obsessed to hear God speak and are completely committed to obeying everything he says. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.